0: I, I told a couple of them that the, uh, the second service is going to be significantly, my second sermon will be significantly shorter than this one, because i got to smell the spaghetti dinner during the 11 o'clock service, so you guys get the long version this, this morning. If you have your Bibles, join me in Acts chapter 8. And uh, yes, I, am, uh, I have skipped ahead a couple of chapters, and uh, we're continuing our series uh, called Ecclesia: study in the book of Acts. And uh, for those of you who don't know by now, the, the title is derived from the, the Greek word for uh, church. This is the word that's translated church throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament. And we're, we're studying some of the characteristics of the early church. We realize that not everything they did was something that we want to imitate and mimic because they weren't perfect people. But there were a lot of characteristics that uh, we can see in their lives that should also be seen in our lives. And so we want to look at Acts chapter 8 as today we think about the evangelistic church. The evangelistic church. Evangelism was an important part of the early Christian's life. And evangelism is simply, I don't know, maybe you get a lot of ideas when you hear that word evangelism or an evangelist. Evangelism is simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. That's all evangelism is, and some of you may have went through evangelism programs, how to, how to train to be a better evangelist, and, and we can get down in all the technical aspects of it and, and try to come up with how-to manuals and things, and there's a lot of that, those materials out there, but being an evangelist is simply sharing Jesus Christ with other people. You don't, have to, you don't necessarily have to go through a lot of rigorous training. You don't necessarily uh, have to have a, a specialized degree. And you don't have to have necessarily even the gift of evangelism. This is something that God wants all of us to be a part of. To share what God has done in your life. If he has changed you through his son, Jesus Christ, you can be an evangelist. In fact, I'm going to argue this morning, you should be an evangelist. That's what God calls us to We're going to look at the example, uh, or the the story here in Acts chapter 8, a well-known story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm going to read the story to you real quick, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of examine a little bit of what was going on with Philip and how he went about taking Christ to this man. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of this scripture that he was reading was this. And it's a quote from Isaiah chapter 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation... Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and both, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip, Philip found himself in Azetus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So we, here we have Philip, the evangelist, and, and back in chapter 6, we were actually introduced to Philip. This is different, Philip, than disciple Philip. All right? It's confusing when the Bible does that to us, right? When the New Testament has multiple characters by the same names. There was Philip the disciple, one of the twelve. And then there was also Philip, who was one of the original seven deacons set aside in Acts chapter 6 to help meet the physical needs of the church so that the apostles could pay more attention to preaching the gospel and, and, and praying and, and really help, help being develop the theology of the church and, and preach, preach God's word. And so Philip was a servant. Philip was someone who got his hands dirty and was helping serve people. But it also turns out that he was also pretty, pretty good at preaching the gospel. And so Acts chapter 8 tells us about Philip. It's, it's really about, other than Acts chapter 21, a brief m- mention of Philip, we really don't know much else other than what chapter 8 tells us. The beginning of Acts chapter 8 tells us that there was persecution that scattered the believers. So Back in 7, uh, Phil, or, um, Stephen was stoned. You remember Stephen? He was also one of those seven deacons. He preached a real in-your-face sermon, and he became uh, the very first martyr of the early Christian church. And, and uh, right after that, persecution really fired up. We've seen it a little bit now. We saw it in chapter 4 uh, with Peter and John getting hauled in before the officials. But now the persecution has really kicked in full gear. A man named Saul is really heading it up and, and becoming a key a key figure in, in this persecution taking place, dragging Christians off to prison. And now he's beginning to have some killed. And so that persecution, most of the Christians up till this point are, are centered in and hanging out in Jerusalem. That persecution scattered them. Remember Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, into Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, you're going to begin going out. Well, apparently they weren't going out fast enough. So God says, all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to scatter you with persecution. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that's exactly what happens. And, and uh, um, as, as they're scattered, Philip was one of those. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. So he went up to the region of Samaria. And, and we won't go into a lot of the background, but you know the Samaritans were pretty hated by the Jews. And so that was, that was probably a pretty big step. Philip to walk out and say, you know, I'm going to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. And so the the beginning, the first half of Acts chapter 8 tells us that great things were happening there in Samaria. People are getting saved left and right. The gospel's exploding up uh, in places outside of Jerusalem now. Uh, People who are not just ethnically Jewish people are starting to get saved and come to Christ. And it's it's, uh, pretty exciting that even in the face of persecution, God's word was not being stamped out. Rather, the flames were being kindled and and, and the word of God was spreading all that much more. And so um, we have Philip there, who's been up in Samaria, successful ministry. Things are going great. And then we have him meet this, this man who is a eunuch. We, we call him the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, the Ethiopian kingdom was at that time covered, it, it's not where Ethiopia is today. It's probably just north of where Ethiopia is today. It was a large area located in the upper Nile. Um, he's identified as an official, a court official of Candace. Candace was the, the official title of a queen in Ethiopia. So it'd be much like uh, the Herods were um, in, in the time of Jesus there in the, in, the, in the Galilean region. That wasn't their proper name, but that was the, the title that they had. They were, they were called Herod, called king, queen. Well, a queen of Ethiopia was called Candace. And this eunuch here was, was her treasurer. He was in charge of all the money. He was a pretty top official. Would have been a, a pretty significant guy in the, in the kingdom of Ethiopia. And he had made the long and costly trip to Jerusalem to worship. He was God-fearing. He knew something about God. In fact, one commentator I read said, maybe it was, it was learned from way back when King Solomon met the Queen of Sheba. And maybe the, the word of God spread over into those regions of Africa way back then. And so he knew something of God, but at least, he didn't know about Jesus, that's for sure. But he knew something about God, and he came to Jerusalem to worship this God he knew. And so as we we read through this story again, and, and, and just look at some of the different components of it, if you have your notes with you, I want you to have the opportunity to fill in blanks. And uh, the the first thought I wanted to share with you with regards to evangelism and sharing the gospel comes from uh, verses 26 and 29, and that is the thought that we need to have a constant sensitivity to the Spirit. So as we're thinking about Philip the Evangelist, as we're thinking about our own commands to preach the gospel, okay, we've been told that in Acts 1.8, Matthew 28, there's that kind of well-known passage where Jesus says, Go, go into all the world. Get out there and preach. And so as we think about our role in that, I think this story gives us some things that we can take away from and apply to our life. And the first of which is to have a a sensitivity to the the Holy Spirit, a constant sensitivity. Regularly asking God, God, what would you like me to do? How How can I share the gospel with somebody today? How can I influence someone for Jesus Christ today? And it tells us right in verse 26 that the angel of the Lord came to Philip and says, rise and go to the, go to the south. I want, you to, I want you to go to this place. Now, most of us aren't getting the, the angel treatment. Probably, uh, probably we haven't seen an angel anytime regularly that's given us specific instructions on where to go. And we see further that, that even when angels don't show up, Philip was sensitive to the Spirit because verse 29 told him that once he got to the place, the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So he sees this guy uh, riding along on his chariot on the road, and the Holy Spirit prompted him and said, go talk to him. Go talk to him. How, how many of how you know what that means? How many have been there? How many of you felt that urging? Maybe, maybe you're stuck behind someone in Walmart, the line's bogged up because they're doing a price check, and you strike up a conversation, somebody comments about something you're buying or, or why your kid's being so insane, and, and you start talking to them, and, 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 and you just feel that urge all of a sudden. I, I need to bring this up. I need to tell them, like Peter says, about the hope that's within me. And our palms start getting sweaty, and then the line starts moving again, and you're like, Phew, okay, I don't have to do that. But we know, we understand that instinctively, that that sometimes the Spirit, if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, we talked about we talked about that. The Holy Spirit dwells within you, the Holy Spirit will prompt you to step in. And share your faith. Now, there's a lot of questions about how I'm going to do that and, and how, what's the appropriate way and all of that. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. The first thing that, is, that I want to share with you, that Philip had a sensitivity to, to the Holy Spirit. And he was willing to move when, when God's Holy Spirit prompted him to move. And we need to have that same ready heart. That same heart that says, okay, God, I, I, I don't have the courage right now. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful But I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm open to do what you want me to do, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so uh, Philip had a a, a readiness. A readiness. God is not always going to give us that clear. I mean, the angel of the Lord came to him and told him what road to go to, um, told him what direction to head. He told him the specific place. We're not always going to necessarily have that from God. We do have the command that we're supposed to be involved in preaching the gospel and we do have the Holy Spirit who will move us and lead us at times when when we need to step up and do that very thing and and tell people about our faith. The second thing that I want you to to, to point out about this passage is that we need to remember evangelism is not always convenient. In fact, I would say it's most of the time not convenient. Um, Acts 8.26 says that the angel of the Lord told Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then it's got this almost like little footnote. This was a desert place. (laughs) By the way, by the way, what I'm going to ask you to do, Philip, is I'm going to ask you to leave a successful ministry in a bustling metropolitan center where lots of people are getting saved and lots more people need to hear the gospel and I'm going to take you to the desert. <laughs> and I'm not only going to take you to the desert, but it's just for one guy. <laughs> I mean, not only is evangelism not always convenient, but sometimes God is going to move us and ask us to do things that are really, really out of our comfort zone. Um, and that's the, um, that's, that's huge, because when, when, God, when, God, when God tells me, Jeremiah, you know you got to talk to this guy. You need to you need to bring up your faith with this guy. I can think of a million excuses. I can I can I can tell myself, I can tell God, and I have. Well, God, you know I'm a pastor, and my main job is to be studying the Word of God and and to, and to preach the Word to my flock, and I've got to get back to my office and and work on the message, and you know I'm I'm, I'm doing your work, God. All the while I know he's just telling me to talk to this guy. It may only take five or ten minutes but share your faith with this guy. is not only sometimes inconvenient but sometimes it really, it really takes us out of our comfort zone. He had to go to the desert. I don't know if, if any of you have ever been to, to a desert community. I had never been to the desert before meeting my wife. She's from Southern California and her grandparents live in this little small desert community called Brago Springs and now that uh, they've uh, her, her grandfather passed away, but her, her mom and stepdad have moved out there, and her aunt and uncle live out there now. So inevitably, anytime we go out to San Diego now, we head out to the desert. And uh, the, the first time I went out there, I said, why in the world, honey, would anyone want to live in the desert? I mean, I know they ask the same thing about us and the snow and stuff, but I, I said, it's, it's desert. I mean, that's where, people, that's, that's where people die, right? I mean, in all the movies, that's where the cowboy... Ends up, you know, falling to the ground, parched, and sometimes he gets saved, and other times you come by and, and somebody finds a dry skeleton out there. I mean, that's where people die, is the desert. Why would you go out there and, and choose to live? Now, they've, they've made this desert area quite nice with a lot of uh, with development and, and a lot of water uh, piped in. But um, this, this place where Philip was asked to go wasn't like that. There were not golf courses. There were not lush desert oases out there and, and spas and, and things like that. This was, this was the desert. There weren't, a lot of, there weren't any amenities. Food and water. There were no convenience stores. No quick stops where he could grab a water if he needed to. This was the desert. Sometimes God is going to call you and I out of a comfortable ministry, out of a comfortable situation to a place that makes us uncomfortable. And God may say, Jeremiah, I want you to talk to this person. But you don't know what happened the last time I talked to them. Jeremiah, I want you to talk to this person. But I already know what they're going to say. I've heard it all before. I want you to talk to this person. Sometimes uh, evangelism and doing, frankly, doing what God wants us to do is not going to be convenient. It's not going to be comfortable. We need to be willing to be obedient just like Philip was. I've got my numbering a bit skewed there, but I think you can figure it out. The, the, the third thing is to be willing to share with castaways. And I'm trying to maintain the, the C thing here, but uh, be willing to take the gospel to those who are outcast, to those who are marginalized, to those who people look down on. This verse tells us that he went and, and he, he spoke to an Ethiopian eunuch. Not only was... Um, Was Philip willing to talk to this Gentile? He'd been already speaking and sharing the gospel with the Samaritans. Already been willing to step through that big cultural and ethnic barrier that hindered so many Jews from interacting with the Samaritans. You remember when Jesus went and talked to that Samaritan woman at the well? People were just like, are you kidding me? You're talking to her? Why would you do that? When he told the story of the good Samaritan, one of the reasons it made the Jews so mad was the Samaritan, was the hero of the story. They hated that. They hated these people. And Philip said, I I don't care about color. I don't care about race. I don't care about ethnic heritage. These people need Jesus, and I'm going to take God's word to them. And now he was asked to go to speak to this African man, who would have definitely not been inside of the, their, their cultural and, and religious circles because he was also, also a eunuch. And Deuteronomy 23, uh, chapter 23, verse 1 says that eunuchs were not allowed to be part of the, the religious ceremonies and the religious congregation of Israel. I mean, this, this would have been a guy who, for more than one reason, would have been an outcast. Even though he was wealthy and had a, a pretty high prestigious role in, in his kingdom, as far as the Jews concerned, he would have been taboo. He would have been someone that they would have kind of looked down upon. And yet Philip took the gospel to him. And I, I just want to challenge you this morning. If, if there's anybody in your heart who comes to mind and, and you say to yourself, I wouldn't take the gospel to that person. I wouldn't talk to that person. For whatever reason, because of their economic situation, because of the color of their skin, because of the, the, the culture that they have and their behavior. Listen, if there's anybody who fits that bill, you need to get rid of that. You need to confess that to God because, because God's, God's picture of the church is bigger than the way we often look at it because in Revelation, I believe it's chapter four, we're told that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation are going to be bowed before the throne of Jesus Christ in worship. And that is a pretty awesome thing. And how dare any of us exclude anyone from getting an opportunity to hear the gospel. So if, if there's some of that in your heart, maybe you just need some time, some time today to just ask the Lord, God, is, is there any of that racism? Is there any of that, that uh, I wouldn't talk to them kind of stuff in my heart? And if so, ask God to weed it out and make an intention to go, go talk to somebody or go talk to that person about Jesus Christ. Because everyone needs to hear. Everyone. Number four, look for creative ways to get in the door. Creatively look for open doors to share the gospel. I, I love this because in, in verse 30, is, Philip gets, gets like uh, put right there in the situation. Um, God just immediately, just, he, kind of, he kind of throws it out in front of him, and, uh, and the Spirit had told him to go join the chariot, and then verse 30 says that Philip ran to him, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? See, Philip, Philip was probably already thinking through, what's my opening line going to be? I mean, I mean, we've probably all been there, uh, so how do I start talking to this person? So you're sitting there talking about the Detroit Tigers, and uh, Smiley had a pretty good outing last night, and, and uh, man, Coke... Gave up two more runs again. I mean, has that guy ever pitched without giving up runs? And all of a sudden, in the middle of talking to him, hey, by the way, do you know if you're going to heaven? (laughs) We've all probably been in those situations where we know God wants us to to talk to them. How do I bring this up without being totally awkward? And and, and, and it's going to take time, and it's going to take thinking on your feet a little bit, but how can I bring Jesus into this conversation? Now, granted, God kind of put this one in Philip's lap. Because Philip walked up there, and this guy is reading from the Old Testament. Get this, he's reading from the Old Testament about this promised Messiah. And he says, well, can you you help me understand this? And Philip's just licking his chops. He's like, as a matter of fact, I can. But you know what? He found that open door. He looked for a way, a segue into the conversation. He said, he saw the guy was reading from Isaiah, and he's like, you understand that? We need to look for ways, look for those avenues into people's lives where you can connect with them. And I've, I've talked to a number of you here who are doing this really, really well. Maybe it's, it's finding a, a joint hobby to do with that person and using that hobby as a, as a way to build that relationship and begin talking to them. Maybe you've got, maybe you've got kids around the same age. Kids can be a great, a great segue into sharing your faith. Uh, look for ways, look for inroads Philip found his, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And uh, immediately jumped in. The next one, fifthly, uh, have confidence in God's sovereignty. Have confidence in God's sovereignty. Believe that God has brought you into that situation, and that God is at work. This is not just you out there all alone. Philip was in the desert by himself with no other of the disciples, no other apostles, but... He wasn't really by himself. God was already at work. God had preordained this situation. He had preordained this meeting. God had said, "I want you to leave the successful ministry in Samaria, and I got something for you to do." Believe that God, that same God is at work in your random encounters. Was it just by chance that this guy was reading from the Bible out of any, any scroll he could have been reading from? Was it just by chance that not only was he reading the Bible, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, who says more about the coming Messiah than any Old Testament writer. And then was it by chance that he was reading these verses out of Isaiah chapter 53 that says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. It was not an accident. It was not lucky. It was God's sovereignty that put this into place. You and I need to believe that that same God is at work in our encounters. And that he is going to open up those doors, that he is already at work on that person's heart. And as you talk to them, the great thing is, is that it's not up to you to, quote unquote, close the deal. We don't have to use high pressure sales tactics or manipulation. That's, that shouldn't be part of the Christian faith. We share Christ with them. We, teach, we tell them how they can, they can get saved. If it's someone that we're, we're walking with or a friend, we, we live it and model it. But it's not up to you to make them a Christian. God is the one that does the work on the heart. He's the one that that draws them to himself, and he's the one that opens up their eyes to see Jesus Christ. But your job is to share and be ready and willing and available and have confidence in that God who is already at work in that person's heart. And then number six, as we've been studying the book of Acts, this may be a no-brainer, but I'm not going to just bypass it and assume it. We need to communicate with the Scripture. Verse 36, um, I'm sorry, Verse um, 35 uh, says that Philip opened up his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, Isaiah 53, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. He used God's word, and he continued through. He said, okay, I'm going to start here, and we're just going to keep working our way through. And he drew the parallel between what had happened in Jerusalem, just probably a couple months before, to Jesus Christ and to what Isaiah 53 was talking about. But he used God's word. That may be a no-brainer, but when we're sharing the gospel, this is, this is the content, the source of our message. And we need to be willing to share it, and that means we've got to know it. If he hadn't studied Isaiah 53 before, he may not have known that this was a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of Jesus Christ. So you and I need to be sure that we need to be able to, to share and understand, and understand God's word well enough to be able to share it. We don't don't make up the message on our own. That's that's called heresy. We we have a message. We need to know it so we can share it. Pastor James Boyce says, the Bible from the beginning to end is about Jesus. You can't explain Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, without explaining something about Jesus. Because Jesus is God He is active in the work of creation and it's through him that the God of creation has been made known to us. You can't explain the end of Revelation either apart from Jesus. Revelation 22.20 says, yes, I am coming soon. Who is coming soon? That would be Jesus. From the very first page to the very last page of Scripture, it is about Jesus. And as we're talking to people about this Jesus, we need to be able to show what God's word says about our Jesus. Communicate with Scripture. And then lastly, the goal, the goal in all this creating joyful worshipers. The eunuch was baptized, and then in verse 39, it says, When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. I wish I could have experienced that. That'd be something else. And and it says the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch had come to Christ, he was baptized. And he was filled with joy. The Bible says one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. When God saves us, that is one of the, the, the emotions that flows out. When we understand what he's done for us, Filling with, being filled with joyful, heartfelt worship. And that's what happened that day. You know, I, I think that, um, I think the passion that the early Christians had for evangelism, I think it flowed from... An intimate walk with jesus i don 't see anybody having to guilt trip them or twist their arm into sharing the gospel and, and i you 'll never hear that from me i I don't, I don't think that pastors should do that should make people feel guilty for not for not doing it my, I believe my job is is to is to share Jesus Christ with you and, and, and to preach god 's word to you in such a way that you are so excited about your Savior that you can 't stop talking to, talking about him that 's what evangelism is' just Talking about Jesus, and that's that's what the early Christians—they couldn't stop doing it. They wouldn't—they didn't need evangelism class, they didn't need evangelism training because they—they're just like, guess what? Guess what happened to me? When 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 you when you have some great event in your life, maybe ten years ago, if I was preaching this sermon, I would have said you, you'd call your friends and tell them about it. Now I'll say you'd. Text them or put it on Facebook. Tweet about it. You, you, you can't keep it in. It's great news. I had a baby or, or my friend got healed or, or whatever it is. You got to tell people. You're excited about it. My kid hit a home run last night. Excited. I got to get the word out. To uh, such a greater degree is the message of Jesus Christ. When he changes us and we're, 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 we're meditating on it and we're, we're thrilled with it, we want to share it with others. I want, to tell, I want to close with a story about a man who did just this. He met Jesus, and, and until the very last breath that he took, he was telling people about Jesus. John Harper was born in a Christian home in Glasgow, Scotland, back in 1872. When he was about 14 years old, he became a Christian himself. And from that time on, he began to tell others about Jesus Christ. At 17, he began to preach, going up and down the streets of his village and pouring out his soul in passionate pleading for men to be reconciled with God. He was taken in and mentored by a pastor for a time, and not long after, started his own church in September of 1896. The church grew by leaps and bounds, largely because of Harper's passionate zeal to share the gospel wherever he could. During this time, he was married, both married and widowed. Before he lost his wife, God blessed Harper with a beautiful little girl named Nana. Harper's life was an eventful one. He almost drowned several times. When he was two and a half, he fell into a well and was resuscitated by his mother. At the age of 26, he was swept out to sea by a strong current and barely survived. And at 32, he faced death on a a leaking ship in the Mediterranean Sea. If anything, these brushes with death, death, simply seemed to confirm to John Harper and his zeal for evangelism, which marked him out for the rest of the days of his life. While pastoring his church in London, Harper continued his fervent and faithful evangelism. In fact, he was such a, a zealous evangelist that word got out uh, across the Atlantic. and Moody Church in Chicago asked him to come to America for a series of meetings. He did, and they went very well, and a few years lady, later, Moody Church asked him if he would come back again. Harper's wife had just died a few years before, and he had with him his only child, Nana, now six years old. And he agreed to the arrangement. He agreed to come preach again. He made those arrangements for the two of them to travel back to America on board the Lusitania. However, they decided to delay their departure for a week week, so they could sail on a new ship, the Titanic, which is about to make its maiden voyage. On Sunday, the 14th of April, 1912, the day when the iceberg was struck, the weather was fine and the sea calm. Harper attended the church service for the passengers. His niece reported that later that afternoon, she saw her uncle speaking individually to people about their souls. Seems he was in the habit of speaking to lost sheep wherever he went. The Titanic struck the iceberg at 11.40 p.m. As the call was issued for passengers to vacate their cabins, Harper wrapped his little daughter in a blanket and told her that she would see him again one day and passed her on to the crewmen. After watching her safely board one of the lifeboats, he removed his life jacket and gave it to one of the other passengers. One survivor distinctly remembers hearing him shout, women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Harper knew that believers were ready to die, but the unsaved were not. He then ran along the decks, pleading people to turn to Christ. And with the ship sinking, he called upon the Titanic's orchestra to play, Nearer, my God, to thee. Gathering people around him on the deck, he then knelt down, and with holy joy in his face, raised his arms in prayer. As the ship began to lurch, he jumped into the icy waters and swam frantically all he could reach, beseeching them to turn to the Lord Jesus and be saved. Finally, as hypothermia set in, John Harper sank beneath the waters and passed into the Lord's presence. He was 39 years old. Four years later, a young Scotsman by the name of Agia Webb stood up in a meeting in Hamilton, Canada, and gave this testimony. These are his words. I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a piece of debris that awful night, the tide brought Mr. John Harper of Glasgow also on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. He replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shall be saved. The waves bore him away. But strange to say, brought him back a little later. And he said, Are you saved now? (laughs) No, I said. I can honestly say that I, I am not. He said again, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after, he went down. And there, alone in the night, and with two miles of water under me, I believed. I am John Harper's last convert. Apparently God had a plan for Aguia Webb and for his amazing testimony to be shared because only seven people were plucked from the icy water that night to join the survivors in the lifeboats. And Webb was one of them. I realize we may not all be John Harper's. I know I'm not. <laughs> but we can be faithful. We can be faithful to proclaim the name of our Savior, wherever we have opportunity, to share the hope that is within us. May God grant us the boldness to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the early church, as we think about the work that was being done We recognize that your Holy Spirit was doing amazing things on their hearts, but at the end of the day, they had a choice whether or not they would obey and and speak up, whether they would be quiet and retreat silently somewhere, or they would step forth and and proclaim the name of their Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful today for examples like Philip, who are ready and willing to, to leave even a successful ministry a ministry that may have been comfortable to go out to the desert to share Jesus with a Gentile, one single Gentile. Thank you for Philip's willingness to be faithful, God. May you challenge us to do the same. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.